So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we, we, is where we are this, this morning. In fact, is we're ending uh, this series that we started together. Ten weeks ago, we started a, a series called Thrive, which we're in, which we're going to end today. And we started walking verse by verse through the, through the book of Philippians. And so today, as we end this series, it's really interesting to me that, that the way in which Paul opened this letter, letter to the, 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 those in, in Philippi, the way that he opened this letter and the way that he closed this letter is in much the same way. In other words, what, what Paul is trying to help us to understand in, in Philippians is that, that we can thrive in the most difficult circumstances. And what does it mean to thrive? And so what does it mean to have joy? And so, and I listen, I, I know this, this morning we all, we all woke up to some really bad news, right? About the shootings that have taken place in, in Florida um, before the 9 o'clock service. I was checking uh, uh, MSN and some other websites, and, and I believe now, uh, 50 people have lost their lives in a shooting with a gunman that came in uh, with a rifle and with a handgun, and, and it's just tragic circumstances. Um, and, and so we obviously we pray for them, but a, a lot of times who, who gets missed in this is the first responders. And we not only need to thank our first responders in our community that keeps us safe, but we also need to remember to pray for them and to pray for their families and what they walk through. And so we live in difficult times, right? I mean, we live in such difficult times that, that unfortunately it's becoming more common than uncommon to hear these kind of reports. But Paul says this. Paul says that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can thrive. And we don't have to shrink back and we don't have to try to gut through it, but that we can actually thrive. And, and I also believe this that now is the time for the church to rise up and be the church like any other time in history. That our world and our nation has a lot of questions and there's a lot of struggles that they're going through and they're looking for answers. See, this issue of joy is just so important, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And listen, there's many times that, that this book of, uh, the book of Philippians has been convicting to me, or this series has been convicting to me, because sometimes for me, it takes intentionality to have joy. I mean, I'm, I'm naturally a worrier, and so I worry about a lot of stuff that's probably never going to happen and never going to come true. And so, so it just, it's just a reminder to me to worry. It's a reminder to me not to worry. And so there's issue of joy because there's this issue of joy. Joy is attracting, right? I mean, there's something that's contagious about joy. Joyful people are contagious, right? We all want to hang around joyful people, right? We want to hang around people that are thriving and not surviving. Nobody wants to hang around a whiner. Nobody wants to hang around someone that continually gripes, right? Nobody's going to say today, hey, after church, let's go to Charlie's house because we really love the way he gripes. We really we love we love how negative negative he is. We love how he gripes. We love how he whines. And so Paul is trying to help us to understand that in community, this issue of joy, this issue of thriving is just critical. And he's going to talk to us this morning about this issue of a partnership and what does it mean to be a partner? What does it mean to be a partner in relationships? What does it mean to be a partner in the local body, the church? Because Paul is going to use a word, partnership or partner are striving side by side that we've looked at for the last 10 weeks. And the only time, in fact, is the majority of the times when Paul uses this word, he's talking about the local church. 
The other times when he's using this word and he's not talking about the local church, he's talking about the relationship of marriage. And what does it mean? What does it mean to be partners in life? What does it mean to partner with someone? And what does it mean to partner with the local church? So here's what he writes, Philippians chapter 4, verse 14. Here's what the scripture says. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving. Let's stop right there. Paul gives us the definition of a partnership. A partnership is this. It's the equal sharing of responsibility and blessing. It's in this giving and receiving. It's responsibility and reward. It's burden and blessing. Listen, if you're in a relationship, whether it's to the local church, to our church, or, or you're married, or you're in a relationship, and, and, and you wonder, am I in a partnership or not? That's the definition right there. It's giving and receiving. It's responsibility and reward. In other words, this, if you're doing all the giving and none of the receiving, that is not a partnership. If if you're getting all the benefit, if you're getting all the blessing, if you're getting all the reward, and you're not sharing in the burden, the responsibility, Paul would say that's not a partnership. Paul is trying to help the Philippians. He's trying to help us understand what a healthy, living, biblical partnership looks like in a biblical partnership. Is there's equal sharing of burden and blessing responsibility and reward and so he goes on and he says except you only verse 16 even in Thessalonica you sent me you sent me help for your needs once again not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit I've received full payment and more I'm well supplied having received from Aphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. There's so much theology right there. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who, who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The interesting thing to me is Paul started this book and ended this book with the same theme, what it means to be a partner, what it means to stride side by side, what it means to come into community because we all need, we, we all need community, right? We all need relationships. Paul started this book out, for those of you that may not have started this journey with us, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what he writes in Philippians 1, verse 3. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. See, that is so hard to say for a Texan. You all, I just want to say y'all. <laughs> That's why I always pause. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul would tell us this, 
a partnership. A partnership simply means this, the act of sharing of activities, responsibility and reward, burden and blessing, giving and receiving in your close relationship. Again, Paul primarily used this word for churches. He used this word for marriages as well, but primarily he's talking about church. In other words, a partnership means this. A partnership means I'm all in. A partnership means that there, there's like this, this commitment to one another that we're going to strive side by side through good times and bad times and difficult times, and we're going to celebrate together and we're going to work together. See, this word partnership means the giving of of your time and your talents and your tre your treasures. It means carrying a burden, but also seeing a blessing. I wonder what would happen in our community if everyone in our church got that. I wonder what would happen if we all understood that part of partnering together in church and in a faith community is this, to where we understand, we just understand responsibility and reward. We understand burden and blessing. I mean, Paul, when you look at Paul's life, Paul was like passionate about the people he served with. See, this wasn't true in Paul's earlier ministry. Paul was like type A, and he was like driven and, and all of those other things. But later in life, you, all of a sudden you see Paul, he, he becomes more appreciative of those that he serves with and those that he served with because he realized it's just so rare. It's just so rare to find someone, to find a group of people that you just strive with side by side. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we're going to use as a commentary on Scripture. I've told you the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And, and, and there's another example I want to, want to bring your attention to. And, and the, the church there in Corinth had taken up an offering for some other churches, and they're, they're sending that offering out. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, here's what Paul writes. And he writes, and he says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. In other words, what Paul is saying, I, let, let me help you with this partnership deal. 6% of the group should not carry the burden, and 94% of the group receive the blessing. In other words, what Paul is trying to help us understand is this, this issue of partnership is equal burden and blessing. And he goes on and he says, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. In other words, what Paul is saying, in a healthy community, in a healthy church, in a healthy marriage, that there is this tension of, of, of ease and burden, what he says here, are here reward and responsibility. In other words, a true partnership is where people are all in. Jim Collins, who has written a lot of books, he, he's a believer, but he's written a lot of secular books on organizations and efficiency of a company and, and all those other things. In his book, in his book Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins wrote these words. He says, if your organization or your church can be great without you, it is not great. That the only way that any organization or the only way that any church can experience the fullness of God that God intended them to experience is where everybody is all in. In other words, what, what Paul is saying when someone receives all of the reward and none of the responsibility, that is not a partnership. And when someone carries all of the burden, that is not a partnership. 
I mean, we know this. We know, we know good companies work this way. We know, good, we, know, we know teams work this way, right? One cannot celebrate all of the touchdowns and not, and not do any of the work. Fact is, that individual would be considered a, a spectator. A spectator is one who, who celebrates the touchdowns and celebrates the Super Bowl, Bowl, Bowls and celebrates the victories and, but does none of the work. And so this is true. This is true in families. This is true in business. This is true in teams. And this is true in churches. Paul says that when you get a partnership and when you're all in and you carry the responsibility and the reward, there is blessing in your personal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul just makes a statement. He says, for, for the one that sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but the one that sows plentiful will reap plentiful. And so whenever you have a, a, a failure in the tension between reward and responsibility, you, what Paul says, you will never thrive. You will never experience the fullness of God that he intended for you to experience in your life. See, a lot of times in life, and I'm the same way, I mean, there's some areas of my life, a lot of time in life, we want the reward, but not the responsibility, right? I'm that way with exercise. I hate exercise. I'm, I'm married uh, to a wife, and I mean, she loves, loves, loves exercise. She looks forward to it. She likes exercise. Not so much for me. I, you know what? I, I don't like exercise. And, and in fact, is I think I have a problem with exercise because all the people I know that exercise, they're always talking about a pulled muscle. I mean, something's either pulled, something's you know, something's going on with them, and it's like they, they always they always have like a pulled muscle. I. I've never met anyone that said, hey, I pulled some fat, you know. <laughs> I'm good with fat. You know what? I've, I've never heard anyone say that. And so, you know what, I don't like exercise, but you know what? I want the reward. I want the benefit of it, but I just don't want to have to do it. Uh, many months ago, Karen and I were talking, and Karen was talking and says, hey, uh, have you ever thought about maybe exercising, just finding something you like and like do it? And I'm like, well, I mean, I, I exercise every night. And she's like, when? What do you mean? And so Karen and I, we, we walk around the neighborhood every evening. And so we walk around the neighborhood, and I says, yeah, every evening I like, hello, uh, I'm with you. I, I, go to, I go for a walk. And so Karen's like laughing, and she says, you know what? You don't even walk fast enough to consider that exercise. You don't even get your heart rate up. I didn't even know you could do it wrong. I, just, I didn't even. And so, so, so here's the deal. We, we, want, we want the reward, but we don't want the responsibility. I want to give you just three attributes of what a real partnership looks like. What a real partnership looks like not only in the local church, but what a real partnership looks like in, in marriage as well. The first thing, the first attribute of a real partnership is this, is, man, there's a commitment. In other words, there, there, has, there, there has to be a commitment. We're, we're going to see Paul say this a couple of different ways in these passages. But, but in other words, there, there has to be a time when you say, you know what, I'm committed to you. I'm, I'm committed to the church. Or I'm committed to our relationship. And, and, and that looks different ways. In, in, in relationships, that commitment comes at marriage. And in church, that commitment comes at, at membership to where we say, you know what, we're, we're just all in. I mean, we're, just, we're just all in. Paul says it this way in verse 14. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. In other words, when Paul used that term, when he used that phrase, you entered into a partnership with me. In other words, what he's saying, you made a commitment. I mean, you, and not only did you make a commitment to me, I made a commitment to you. Paul uses like this, in the Greek, he uses a compound word where we get the, the phrase, share my trouble. He uses a, a compound, uh, it's a compound word, it's, it's a verb that, 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 that had a lot of meaning and actually it's where we get the meaning striving side by side. In other words, it's a word that means that we've committed and we're going to do life together. And we're going to do life together for the advancement of the gospel. And, 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 and we're in it together for like the long haul. And all of a sudden you listen to Paul's words, especially in these verses, and, 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 and he's so appreciative, right? I mean, he's so thankful. See, we didn't see this in Paul's earlier ministry. In Paul's earlier ministry, he was like, ah, you, you, here's what the Bible says, and you just need to like do it but Paul later on in his ministry realized how rare that is and he became very very appreciative he became very thankful I think in the in the times in in which we live and I and I still struggle with social media rules and text and and all that other stuff, but I wonder if we've gotten more and more impersonal. We've kind of lost the art of just a thank you note. Even in the book of Romans, when Romans was like a heavily doctrinal book, just one doctrine right after that. Some people say it's just dry. And then you come to Romans chapter 16, and Paul devotes an entire chapter, chapter 16, just thanking people who strived side by side with him. When was the last time you just was in marriage or whether it was in church? You just told someone, thank you. Thank you for striving side by side with me. Paul, when he talks about this giving and receiving, he, he borrows commercial language or banking language of his day. He's talking about giving and receiving, but it had technical meaning, and it was it was referred to like a in his day, like a financial transactions of, of, of debt and profit. And Paul begins talking this in a non-technical sense, in relationships about the giving and the receiving. Second Corinthians 8.16. All of a sudden, you, you hear Paul talk about this guy Titus. And so, he goes on and he says, he says, verse 16, he says, But thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. 
for he not only accepted, he made a he he made a commitment. He said, "I'm all in." He not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. In other words, Titus was this guy that not only made a commitment, but Titus believed in that commitment. He believed in that partnership so much that Titus didn't just do what he was asked to do. Titus was the, wasn't even the guy that just kind of did enough to get by. Titus was that guy that did over and above what he was asked to do because his, because his heart was in it. Titus was that guy that was just called and he was just passionate and he understood the principles. He understood the importance of, of, of a partnership and what was required. He understood too much is given, much is requ- required. It's, it's an amazing thing in life, right? It's an amazing thing in life when you find a Titus. When you find a group of people. When you find a person. But you just know we're in it together. And we're going we're gonna to strive side by side. Whether it's the celebrations of life. Whether it's the difficulty of life. Whether it's hurt whether it's pain, whether it's wonderful seasons, whether it's dry seasons. I mean, that's a wonderful thing, right? And so it starts, it just starts with a, it starts with a commitment. The second thing is this, there is humility. There's not only a commitment, there is, there is humility. I mean, you, you see this in Titus's life. You see this in Paul's life. And, and listen, let me tell you something. Humility and insecurity are two different things. A lot of times we meet people and we think that person's awful humble. But really and truly that individual's insecure. See, insecurity and humility are two totally different things. Insecurity is self-focused. Insecurity is so self-focused that I need your approval. I need your acceptance. I, 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 it's a needy or they're a needy person. So insecurity is self-focused. Humility is totally different. Humility is not self-focused. Humility is God-focused. Humility is coming to the place in your life to where you know how God has wired you. You know your spiritual gifts. You know your abilities. And then you take those abilities and you use them for His glory, for the advancement of the of the gospel. Now, verse 17 in Philippians 4, he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your character, to your credit. In other words, Paul's saying, or he's showing his humility that it's God-focused and not self-focused. He says, after all, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a spirit, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Listen, all of a sudden, Paul starts using worship language. You know it's an act of worship. Do you, do you know it pleases the heart of God when you partner with a church and you're all in and you understand reward and responsibility, you understand ease and burden, you understand giving and receiving. Do you realize that is an act of worship in of itself? When we truly love others, do you realize it increases our capacity to love? I mean, Paul is talking in these verses about a sacrificial gift that 
that produces spiritual growth in the heart of a person. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 18, watch how humility weaves its way through this story as well, through this experience as well. Verse 18, he says, with him, and talking about Titus, we are sending the brother. First, many years ago, that just made me laugh when I read that. I came to the, ver the where it just said, the brother. How would you like to have lived in that day and you finally make the pages of Scripture and they don't put your name? They just refer to you as the brother or as the sister. So with him we're sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. He was sending Titus, but he was also sending this fellow, this person, that was referred to in Scripture simply as the, as the brother. Many years ago, I, I wanted to know who this brother is. I wanted to know, does he have? Who is he? Does he have a name? What's his story? And so, in my in my library, in my study, I have physically, I have about 300, 400 books, and then I have a laptop with some Bible software. And I think in that Bible software, it has anywhere from 11 to to, to 12,000 reference materials, books, and all of those other things. And so, I, I just plugged into my laptop a search for who this guy is. And it went through all of my resources. It went through all of the books that are connected to my software. And here's what I found out. Nobody knows this guy's name. The area churches obviously knew who he was. I mean, they obviously knew he had a great reputation. He was great at preaching and all those other things. But his name was never recorded. So really and truly, no one knows his name. Can I just tell you this? There are hundreds of people, ministry partners is what we call them, that serve in this church that you may never know their name. You may never know their name. Last weekend, there was a group of ministry partners that served about 200 children. Many of them are your children. Over in the children's ministry so they could learn scripture at an age appropriate level and so that you could worship and not be interrupted a week ago there was 48 ministry partners that gathered at a at an auto shop in town and they just quietly served over 50 single moms that just changed their oil, flipped some hamburgers, fed their family, gave them some things, and just ministered to them. And you may never know their name. There are people that show up here in this facility, this building, way before you ever arrive, making sure the facility is clean, the lights are on, it's cool. Temperature-wise. And you may never know who they are. There's greeters. There's ushers. 
There's security people. There's a deacon ministry that serves quietly in hospitals, in funerals, and you may never know who they are. There's office ministry partners, there's food service people, there's people serving the student ministry and the impact ministry, the worship team, tech team, men's ministry, ladies' ministry. You may never know who they are, but the, but that's how the kingdom of God works. See, they're going to partner with you whether you partner with them or not. It's just what they're called to do. If you, if you get at the heart of a church, it is about a group of people that are striving side by side who have never made it about themselves, about their preferences, about their likes. They just understand the kingdom and the gospel. And I'm telling you, we live in a, we live in a world that, that is becoming more and more attractive to our community. The last attribute of a partnership is this, is there's a blessing. There's just a blessing. I mean, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says this in Philippians, Philippians 4.19. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. In the, uh, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In other words, Paul says, Paul says, God is pleased. God is pleased when we partner together. God is pleased when we stride side by side. 2 Corinthians 8.22 And with them we're sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. In other words, he's partnering with you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for, for your benefit. And you see this language. And as far as our brothers, they're messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. In, in Philippians 1.5, there's just so many verses all the way through Philippians. Philippians 1.5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I mean, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing in life. It's an amazing thing in church when you stride side by side with a group of people for a long period of, of time. There's a lot of people that I meet that say, well, you know what? I'm a, I've carried, I've, listen, I've carried the responsibility for a long time. And, and, I, and I'm like retired. And it's someone else's turn. You, you, you just can't find that in Scripture. I mean, how do you flesh out where Scripture says that the older men should mentor the younger men and the older women should mentor the younger women. fact is, here's what I find in Scripture, and the older I get, the more encouraging this becomes. But God used a group of people greater after they passed the age of 65 than when they were younger. Moses was 80 years old when he led the Israelites out of slavery. Caleb was like 85 years old when he carried the people into battle. 
Sarah was 90 years old when she had Isaac. The Apostle John was over the age of 80 when he wrote the book of, of Revelation. Ronald Reagan was 73 years of age when he entered his second term of the presidency. I was, I was streaming uh, Muhammad Ali's funeral a couple of days ago, and I found an interesting fact that Colonel Sanders uh, used, was, was completely broke. He used his first Social Security check when he turned the age of 65 to start a small little fried chicken joint that is now known as Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm telling you, God wants to use you at whatever age you are. And it is a special thing when we come alongside of one another and serve together. And I just want to encourage you to live out this tension of responsibility and reward, of giving and receiving, of ease and burden. God put this in Titus's heart. And when your heart is in it, the responsibility is no big deal, right? See, I don't mind walking five miles as long as I'm playing golf and burning 1,440 calories with a friend. I don't mind mountain biking and riding 22 miles as long as I'm with my wife striving side by side. Remember when people fall in love? Remember when you fell in love? You'll do all kinds of crazy things. Even things you don't like. Why? Because your heart is in it. Paul says this, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Paul even recognized that it's a rare thing. And here's what I want to encourage you. Would you partner with us if you haven't already? Would you partner with us? Because this community and this culture needs a church that is willing to rise up, not make it about us, but about the kingdom. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you as a result of, of this message? Maybe more importantly, what, what is your next step? What, it, what, what is your response? Maybe your next step should be. You just evaluate yourself and say, am I in a partnership? Am I in a true partnership? Have I made that commitment? Have I made that choice? And for you, if you haven't, your journey may start out at what we call the, the journey. That's where those commitments are made. And I would encourage you that if you've never taken that step, it'd be an awesome thing for you just to commit to that. And we have that class once a month. 
But do you understand what a partnership is? It's giving and receiving. It's responsibility. It's reward. It's ease. It's burden. It's just, it's just tension. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I, I just have a prayer request. I, I, I'm carrying a burden. I just need someone to pray for me. I just need someone to encourage me. Well, we want to pray for you. Whatever season you're in, we, we, we want to pray for you. This is when we minister to each other. And see, there's a group of people called ministry partners. That this is their spiritual gift. This is, this is their ministry. And they would love to partner with you. And they would love to pray for you. And they'd love to encourage you. And they'd love to comfort you. They'd love to add their faith to your faith. So if you're in that season of life to where you say, you know, I, I just need prayer. You don't need to be embarrassed by that. We all go through those seasons. Every one of us in this room needs prayer. I need prayer. You need, every one of us needs prayer. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, I'm just going to invite you that after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer, you don't have to be a member of Fellowship of the Rockies. This has nothing to do with membership. This doesn't even make you a member. It's about ministry. That if you'd say, you know what, I, I just need prayer, then we want to pray for you. So after I pray, we stand. If you need prayer, as we stand up together in a few moments, you step out, begin making your way down to the front. People be walking with you. You don't have to walk alone. This is a safe place. There's something for every one of us to do in this time. Whether we're responding by coming forward for prayer or whether we're just standing right where we are and we're just praying for those that are responding, doing nothing to like distract them and to distract during this time because it's just so important. So if you need prayer, we want to pray for you. After I pray, we stand. You come. Father, we thank you for your love and Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for just the power of your name. Father, we just ask that you just pull this church closely to you and we'd understand what it means to strive side by side. What it means to be in a relationship, in a partnership together. Father, for those that, that just would say, you know what, I, I just need prayer. There'd be no hindrances in this room. Would there be no barriers? Would people be able and free and willing just to respond to you? And Father, would prayers be answered? Would burdens be lifted? Would people know that you not only have heard, heard their, repair, uh, their prayers, but you respond to them? So Father, we just look forward to see what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.